How much, how much longer was it post getting licensed mm-hmm. and going through that training before you actually got placed with a child? That's a or- great question. We got, so this is another thing. If you know nothing in the foster care world, a kid is never brought to your front door without your explicit permission. And so what happens after licensing is a bunch of phone calls. 2 a.m. Hey, the cops are at a kid's house. We don't even know what's next for this kid, but they need a bed tonight. Are you that bed? And you can say, well, how old's the kid? And what do you know? And are there siblings? And you make a decision right there on the spot. Like they woke you up. You're trying to use your logic. It's 3 a.m. And you're like, I don't. Um, and so we said no a bunch of times because we felt ready, but it's terrifying. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, no, 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 no. Maybe four weeks of like no to every call. And finally a call came that it was like a short-term placement. They, they think there's a biological family member close. that's going to say yes. I'm like, this is the right first step. Yes to this. It was like five days as a set of girls. They were like seven and nine years old. And we knew it was temporary. And we're like, this is the right way for us to get our feet wet. Um, and so we said yes to that. So it could be the next day, but it could be, you know, a year. It's really up to you as the licensed parent. When is the right fit to say yes, according to the, to the very limited information you have? Um, so it could be instant and it could be eight months, but it starts when you say, yeah, I'll take that placement. That placement might be a week, it might be a year, it mm-hmm. might be two years. It's almost never more than two years because permanency is a goal of the state. It's supposed to legally be one year, but it's not. Mm-hmm. It's, it can be complicated. Uh, and so we said yes to a placement. Then we got a little baby just after that. If you're in this, if you're in foster care to adopt a baby, it's probably not going to happen because babies are easier to place with biological families. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a 15 year old who they know has had a lot of challenging behaviors, right. a beautiful, sweet little quiet. So baby. Tyler, one of the, the questions I have, and, and this was like from our determination and now, right. Looking back, like, you know, in retrospect, so you, and there, there might be depending on the percentage, you already had two biological That's children. Right. What was the consideration on taking in these children that you don't know their past at three in the morning that come in uh-huh. and you don't know if they're going to be violent or have all these other uh, things going on? Like, how did you, how did y'all come to the decision and take that in consideration when you did make the decision of like, yes, we will foster? Yeah. If you're going to say yes to foster pairing, you have, I think it has to on some level be a sense of calling. You have to know this is a thing you're supposed to do. It's not a thing you can do casually. It's just not going to work mm-hmm. uh, that way. And so that's where we started is like, if we knew we're going to do this thing, well, then we felt like we could figure the rest out. Mm-hmm. And so we had two kids, two biological kids we had said one arbitrary rule we made that, that I found helpful was like, we're not going to take a kid who's older than our oldest there you go. because we don't know how to do that yet. Right. Right. And so we were trying to keep them in the range of the kids we already had. And because our kids were young, that also kept like the, the parenting level a little lower because a challenging behavior from a five-year-old is incredibly challenging, but it's very different than a challenging behavior from a 15 year old. Sure. Um, and so that was a, a boundary we made because we're just trying to adapt to what we felt equipped for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, that's wholly the decision of the foster parent. Like a lot of foster parents come in, this is like a second round. Mm-hmm. Like my kids have moved out of the house. Yep. I know how to raise, give me all the teens. I raised teens. Like I've been yelled at. I've seen kids <laughs> run out of the house. Um, 
But ultimately, what what the parameters are are up to the foster parent, right. and that's a decision you like. If you're doing this alone, people do this alone. It's mm-hmm. possible. If you're doing it alone, you have to th- think for yourself: What am I capable of? If you're doing it with a spouse or or, or whoever you're living with, uh, you just have to decide: Like, what do we feel capable of? And that's what we might say yes to. And when your willingness and capacity lines up with the parameters of a call you get, that's when you say yes. So when you said you had the short temporary, um, out of, mm-hmm. out of curiosity, one of the things that popped in my head and when you said also, you know, for the folks that are, um, single at the time and maybe they're just choosing single period or whatever, sure. but what about the schooling system? So that's, I, I didn't even really like, it's never yeah. really popped in my mind in consideration. It could be five days. It could be two weeks mm-hmm. and maybe they're, you know, in a different, of course, more than likely, maybe a different school. They've had to travel. Um, did y'all run into that experience at all? And how did you approach that? We did not. And that depends again on the, this, where, where physically geographically where you are, the state always makes a priority of, of trying to keep as many systems in place that this kid has. Like, can we keep them in the same daycare? Can we keep them in the same school? If they have to move daycares or schools, that is a challenge that the state couldn't find a solution to. Mm -hmm. They tried to find a solution. And so we had cases where we were driving 40 minutes to bring a kid to the daycare, but it's because we knew that it was a temporary placement and it was healthier for that kid. Right. We're not going to be, we're a temporary relationship. That's mm-hmm. a more permanent one. And right. so we can inconvenience ourselves to keep that. Try to keep as many yes. things that are similar in that yes. structure as possible. Uh-huh. And again, like we're the big people and we, we do the harder things in order to help be more uh, healthy and possible for, for the kids we're caring for. Mm-hmm. Um, but the state does start with trying to keep systems intact. There's they did, they call biological family before they called you anyway, right. because again, like auntie probably lives close or auntie's going to keep those connections. Mm-hmm. After that, they're still trying to keep things local because of all those things you mentioned. Yeah, systems and daycares and doctors. So you had so I think you said seven and nine. So yeah, and then a little nine, baby, the baby, beautiful little sweet baby, mm-hmm. and um, everybody knew we were in this for adoption. Everyone was so disappointed when that baby got placed with an auntie. Cause it's, just, it's, it is what it is, man. Yeah. And, uh, we gave as good of care as we could possibly give to those kids while we could give them. And in the foster care system, that is as far as our control goes. And so if you're happy or, or willing to say like, I will do everything I can for the time that I've been allotted that outside of that single sentence, you have no control. You don't know what time is a lot of, you don't know what's next for a kid. You don't know if they're going to be in your home forever or somebody else's home or if they're going back. But if you can say in good conscience, like I feel good about giving a kid everything that I can give them for whatever time I can have them. Mm -hmm. Well, like that's, that's as far as you can go. And after that, everything we're playing jazz, you know, we're figuring it out. So how, like, it's interesting. So my best friend Ronnie in Texas has done it multiple times and, and his wife and, I've heard stories, right? You come in, some kids, again, broken arm, broken leg, 18 months. I mean, some yeah. just, you know, like having uh, certain things. Um, but how how did you find yourself? Because I think maybe your wife probably maybe a little bit different from like sort of compartmentalizing that, right? So, because that's a big statement. And that's what I asked them. I said, I, I don't I don't know if I could do it. Like it would break my heart every time that's that right. kid would leave. Like how how do you do that? Because like my wife, medical can, she's very good at compartmentalizing, maybe not not great <laughs> <laughs> overall mental health. But how how do you do that? Mm-hmm. Like how how did y'all find yourself like, like living that you can yeah. say it all day long, but when you have that kid and you're hugging and you're changing diapers or whatever else, and then having to, to give that child back outside of your care, yeah. like how I should say, how did you do it? And how long did it really take before it, you accepted that? Yeah. Um, I couldn't do it because I would get too connected to the kids is the most common thing. 
like once you become a foster parent, you also become like a banner waver, like a flag bearer. And everyone who's ever thought about it will just, my family is now huge. I haven't said this yet. We got six kids. Mm. And so people just, we're in a small town. Like people just see us. We drive this <laughs> big, dumb car. And <laughs> Hey, it's not dumb. I have one too. <laughs> just because you have it. Like you know it's not a sexy car. Ford Trans- Shout out to the Ford Transit drivers. They're amazing. <laughs> uh, it's a very functional vehicle. Yes. And so you become like this shining, like a beacon. And if anybody's ever thought of it, they're going to come hit you up. And the most common thing is like this thing that you said, like, oh man, I would, I would feel too connected. I couldn't give a kid back. And here's again, I'm a preacher. I can't help it. Like to me, that statement is coming from a person who should be doing this thing because you, you have to connect. Like that's how we, healing comes through connection. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be a foster parent. If you think like, I won't connect with these kids. It'll be very easy for me. Mm. Like that's not, that's Ooh, not it. That's nice. I like how you turn that. Yeah. That's and great. so, I would feel too connected. Well, I'm sorry, because you said this personally. This is now directly to, to, to the third party who said it, not you. It's okay. I, it's okay. If, if that's where you're coming from, I, I would feel too connected. It would hurt me too much. Well, put, put your big pants on and mm-hmm. get hurt yep. because like, we're doing this for the sake of a, of a child who needs connection. Mm-hmm. And if you're the kind of person who builds connection, you're the right kind of person. And like, you might need to take a break. Like If... If you have a placement that goes a year and then doesn't become permanent and you expect it to be permanent, maybe you shouldn't take a next placement, mm-hmm. but you should be able to look back and say, like, for, for that time, I gave that kid everything I had and it hurts me and I can accept that hurt because the connection I made is going to bring healing to that kid. And I might not ever see it because mm-hmm. that kid's now off somewhere else. Um, and so I don't want to deny the pain of, of kids not being permanent. I just mm-hmm. I think what I'm trying to say is, we, as as parents who are considering foster parents, shouldering that pain for the sake of a kid is part of the deal. Right. And if you're good at connecting and you're going to feel that pain, it's a reason to do it, right. not to not well, do so, it. And I, I think that's important, Tyler. So I, again, right. So I always, you know, sometimes I sit and I bring my personal experience and then sometimes I try to bring what I've heard or other people too. So trying to talk or ask the questions from their shoes, but a hundred percent. Um, a worry that, that I think, and or a phrase or phraseology that a lot of, a lot of folks in that position use. So I, I think that's a phenomenal answer and perspective to look at is if you do have that feeling, you are the right person. Like, I, yeah. I mean, that's great to hear. Like that's a, that's a very important thing that I think that most people that are even considering this, mm-hmm. um, fostering and or adopting, uh, need to hear. So I, I really yeah. do appreciate you bringing that to the table. So, um, so now that you've, you've done you know, I'm assuming just a numerous amount of adoptions at this point. Like yeah. it, there's, there's a period of time. Um, what was that next? Like, how did you finally get to the point of, of actually adopting or, or did you say, like, did you have the conversation with your wife and you're like, Hey, let's just keep mm-hmm. fostering. And then it worked out. I'm just very curious. Yeah. About that. We were in fostering to adopt. That was always our goal again, for clarity's sake, not the state's goal, mm-hmm. but that was always what we wanted to do. And so we were basically going to do this until the right fit came about and became permanent. And that's how it worked for us. We said yes and said yes and said yes until the right fit came about. And we had a, a pair of brothers come and they stayed with us for about um, maybe nine or 10 months before it became clear that permanency was going to be part of a of conversation. And then maybe another for them four or five months before permanency actually happened. So m- over a year time before these boys who came into our house became permanently part of our families, but it did happen. And so at that point we stopped saying yes to temporary placements because now we have to readjust right. and yeah. now like I'm this it's not temporary anymore. 
now we're like we're making it a thing and and that sort of changes uh your your approach a little bit and so we said yes to these boys they're, they're great they're beautiful they're still they're still my boys like mm-hmm. forever they're my boys and uh we love them so much like they're the best man um instant twins right because they were the same age as our biological kids oh great everybody thinks like we're yeah. catholic or we're mormon <laughs> or something because in foster care you never know our kids happen to all look like each other and they all happen to look like me if we lined them up you wouldn't you would have no idea who's who mm-hmm. and that's not always the case but so when we go out it's like it's very confusing to people like and i'm like oh yeah we got two ninth graders we got two seventh graders we got a, a first grader and we got a third grader and everyone's like what <laughs> two sets of twins i mean no uh and so the boys came they became permanent and then for us we stopped saying yes to permanent placements or to temporary placements and we thought we were done this is a very common foster care story but i was done done there's there's two more instances where my wife was right and she said be open to it and i had to change my mind two more of those where I had to be humble. It's the worst, man. Like I've grown, <laughs> but um, so um, the way that we went from two adopted kids through the foster care system to four adopted kids through the foster care system was that all of our adopted kids are biological siblings to each other. So we had the boys, they became permanent. Then uh, other, a mom had a girl and girl, she came along. And again, the state wants to keep these biological families together. They call us and we're like, yeah. Um, and then the same thing with our, with our next girl. And so that brings us from two to four to add one, to add one. And now we're at six kids. And I would say this too, this is again, preacher talk. You put a preacher on, you're going to preach. Um, <laughs> this is true for biological kids, but it's also true for, for, for foster and adoptive families. You think like, when you're a single person, you're like, do I have enough to give to another human being? Can mm-hmm. I be married? Like, I'm selfish. I'm a young man. I want to do what I want to do. Do I have enough to give to a spouse? Well, it turns out uh, when you make a lifelong commitment to another person, your capacity to love increases. Like, no, you probably don't have enough to give when you're a single person. You gain enough to give, mm. you know, because of these connections. And then you're like, okay, we love having this young single life. We're a young married life. We're going to Hawaii, having a good time. You know, we got a little bit of money because we both got jobs. Do we have enough to give a kid? Yeah, maybe. But all of a sudden, when you have a kid, like your capacity to love and to connect increases. And that's been the story for us. Like, can any person have a bunch of kids? Yeah. You know, because as your family grows, however your family grows, Mm -hmm. your capacity for connection and love also grows. I'm not, it's challenging. But like, guess what? Like when I had two biological kids, I was wore out and I was tired and it was really, really hard. And then when I had two biological and two adopted, I was tired all the time. And now I got six and like, guess what? I'm tired all the time. (laughs) It's so funny. I remember that was the conversation, Tyler, when, when we were getting close and I called you and I'm like, man, how, how do you ensure that you have enough love to share across the board? Because you don't want to take away from your oldest or the Mm -hmm. middle or like, how, how do you do that? And it's, it's almost like, you know, not only do you get that additional connection, they just come with an extra bank of like, here's your capacity. And so like you go, okay, cool. And now you get to fill that up. It's like a little container. You know, it's funny. The first thing I think of is like Monsters Inc. where they have the laughing container. Uh-huh. And it's like every every child comes with this additional container of, of um, <laughs> patients because you need to fill that up more because, you know, goodness mm-hmm. gracious, if you try to just maintain your certain patients, that's never going to happen with that ability. <laughs> um, but just that love to, to share across the board and with those connections and the, the dynamic um, sense of the group uh, as a family and how that changes. And I mean, 
holy, holy cow. Because, and this is the part too, that's interesting is depending on the age, sometimes it, it it's not even across the board. It, you know, sometimes, you know, the younger kids, you do have to put in, you know, one more patience, two more connections and love because they need it at that time. Yeah. And hopefully you have enough, you know, communication so you can communicate with the older kiddos and be like, Hey, listen, like I, I have to take this kid can't do this by themselves. I have to do this for them right now at some point, maybe not, but I have found that I like just personally, I try my hardest, at least with my oldest, like we'll try to go do one-on-one mm-hmm. every once in a while, just to, just to establish like, Hey, don't forget, right? Like you're, you're there. We're good. Um, but, but understand, please understand that. Right. Like, and, and I think at least our oldest is, is aware and she's by the way, extremely helpful. Oh my goodness gracious. What was I listening to her reading? And they said, one of the keys is, is, you know, not take advantage, but hopefully your, your oldest child understands and, and they have that enough connection and, and love and they can help out. Right. Because like yeah. when you have a big family and your kids are not helping out, you're, you're going to struggle. You're going to mm-hmm. have a very hard time as an adult, yeah. <laughs> an extremely hard time as an adult. But I, I yeah, like I said, I, I think that's great. I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that that's uh, your capacity grows with these, which with each child, hopefully you have enough um, bedroom and space to go along with that. Just yeah. <laughs> so. Did our house grow? Yeah, I guess, I guess our house grew as well. Our car, our car definitely grew. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, and I would say too, you, you said something that's a little sidebar worth mentioning to the extent that our, the kids in our house were, uh, had the capacity to understand we did keep them in the conversation. So like, did my four-year-old and two-year-old bio kids really know what we were saying yes to? No, but, but we did have conversation and they did under everything that they could understand we had laid out for them. And that's been true all along. Um, and regardless of whether your kids are bio or not, if you're talking about making changes to the family, it's definitely worth letting the kids in to the extent that they're uh, able to understand it and comprehend. hundred percent. Yeah. I think that's great. So you, you told me that you had the two, you were done. Keep open a possibility. <laughs> Uh, what was the time frame when they called you and said, Hey, the mom had another kid before you had to make that decision of like, yes, we'll go ahead and accept them. Was it right from the hospital or was there a period of time where the mom had an opportunity and just, and, and just didn't. Pass? Yeah, it was different. Um, and again, I, I'm going to kind of skip over a lot of like the, the weeds of this because sure. once you get into this kind of, of this, of this by the way, I wrote a book, it's all in a book. Oh, great. Um, but, uh, this, um, once you get into this part of the story, it becomes a little less helpful t- for me to, to be in the, in the real weeds because like there's an infinite amount of possibilities. Like if you're going to get in this world, I think you have to just be open to a lot of, of, uh, chaos and, mm-hmm. and unknown futures. And that's exactly how it was for us. And mm-hmm. so the, the situation was different for the boys and then their sister and then their sister and it, both the timing and the way and what was going on, all the context was different. Mm-hmm. They, the only similarity was that they all resulted in a call to us because of the the biological connection. And even that call was still, are you willing? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is probably temporary. We don't know if it's temporary. Mm-hmm. Say yes to what you know and say maybe to what you don't know. Right. It's kind of, that, kind of that situation. And so the timing was was different and the, the, the context was different. Even who they were with was all different. But because the, of that biological tie, which is unbelievably important, that's what kept that connection going with us. And so we got the calls for that reason. But again, like there's a million ways this might turn out. And we know a lot of foster families and, and their stories of who's in the house and why mm-hmm. there's as many stories as there are families. Right. Right. I guess the reason I asked Tyler was like for us, right. So St. Boat happened, mm-hmm. right. The mom, you know, had two mom had another kid and we got a call and I just never forget it. You know, um, they called my wife and she's like, can we have 24 hours to think about it? And they're like, no, the, the baby's getting discharged now from the hospital. And that was, that was why it was so, because yeah. we chose 
the adoption path purely and did not go through the fostering. So we had some time and opportunity and there was a lot of visits with, you know, who they were being fostered with at the time. So it was, it was a very different environment. So you were used to the like call and boom, get him. We're like, Hey, you know, you know, can we have a day? No, literally. So I I know she called me. We had the conversation. There was some logistics that had to change. And like two hours later, two hours later, it was the stork story. Like, here you go. Here's a baby. And that was shocking for us because we chose a different path. Yeah. Uh, And I I say shocking. It was, it was different of, of what we had already experienced right to this circumstance. And that's, that's why I asked if it was a little different. It was not an insulting question at all. Oh no. Yeah. I'm just like trying to leave space because there's so many possibilities. And ultimately if this is like a research conversation for you, you're like, what is this like? I think ultimately the the real bottom line is you just have to be open to a tr- operating with a tremendous amount of, of unknowns. Mm-hmm. And if you can live with that, then you can probably live with this. Cause like right. for you, like you might've thought you were done all of a sudden 100%. now you have 24 hours to make a life changing <laughs> yes. decision. That's not typical. Like, Biological pregnancies, there's a pretty long timeline, right? Uh, but it's, it's not the case for us. Really. Yeah, we didn't even know. We didn't know the mom was pregnant. And that's why yeah. they all of a sudden we hear like, hey, she had another kid. We're like, what? we didn't even know. And just like you said, trying to keep the siblings together. Mm-hmm. And it was like, hey, you have like an hour to decide. And we're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 changing in, in a lot of different ways. And I think like you said, here's the crazy part is the wife and I were joking like, yeah, we're done. But we always were like, ah, what if she had another kid? Oh, yeah, no way. Will we take it? I don't know. Maybe, you yeah. know, so we had half, I'm not going to say joked about it, but we had half had that conversation. And like you said, once you've opened your door and your heart to love, it's really hard to turn that away. Now, I will tell you now, um, we're in a circumstances purely just logistically where mm-hmm. we'd have to say, hey, we'll keep in touch, you know, however it works out to, to make sure the siblings have connection but there's there's literally logistically and and we are we are at that point now like we we've we're tapped out though we do have additional space in the van and in the beds yeah. um we we're literally just tapped out with, that's real like we're, we're we also like we're at a life stage where i'm an old man man like, <laughs> I'm the, when i drop my kid off at kindergarten like i am clearly is this grandpa like why is this guy still doing diapers uh so yeah we're in the same place but i think also if this is a research conversation for somebody it is important to maintain the fact that in these systems, as a parent, as hard as it is to make the decisions, they are still your decisions to make. Right. It's like you could have said no. Like you, that was a choice you made, True. a very hard choice on a very hard timeline, and now you've made another one. And so the choices are infinitely complex and difficult, but they are, in fact, real choices. And I think that's important, an important part of it to, right. to maintain. And Well, so two things. One, I didn't realize you had a book. And two, some of the stuff, even like, you know, Miss Mary, I want to have her come on, is because, you know, in, in the weeds is important from a factor of research and analysis of people calling in because I didn't understand termination of parental rights, yeah. how that went about because our, our first child that we adopted already had termination of parental rights done. Well, she had a younger brother who we sort of heard about and we're like, eh, I don't know. And then we went and we're, hey, they're like, hey, you can go meet him. Like we went, we call him Mr. Potato Head. It was, it's just funny because of, you know, anyway, so we meet him, a uh, great little dude, but he was in a foster home. Um, oh, Mitzi. Uh, do you know Mitzi? Is that ring a bell? Mitzi? I'm not and, sure I do. Uh, she's amazing. So she's, she's actually now I think does a lot of medical, um, like, oh boy, she's, she's well known in the community. So anyways, we go and she had a very methodical way, right? Okay, I have a kid on the floor playing. I have a kid that's, you know, uh, here getting food. I'm fixing food. Boom, boom, rotate. And so it's extremely important and amazing as 
as that time that he was there, he got as much love and appreciation as he could from her. And I think he, I can't remember. I think that was the first one. And so she does an amazing job, but there is something to be said, like, you, you know, after that one-on-one connection, if you will, or that family and dynamic, um, like with a, with a, uh, full-time placement, if you will. Yeah. And so we got him in, he was a little delayed in development, just again, due to the nature of, Mm -hmm. you know, the bios and so on. And that was hard to work through. So now it's like, okay, we have this kid and then we get him and we're like, we never, again, us personally, and you can, this is where you can bash me is my heart again, right. Knowing now, um, I was like, I don't want high risk. Right. I I was like, I, I, it will break me. It will break me. It will break me. And again, maybe not right. This is me. This is Mm -hmm. me. I'll take it. I'll take all the spears. Um, so, so they're like, Hey, you can take them, but there's always this risk. He doesn't have TPR. I'm like, what do you mean? Doesn't have TPR? How did she have TPR? And then he doesn't. And then eventually down the road, the, the bios actually signed off like, mm-hmm. Hey, they hadn't visited them. They didn't even do phone calls. All these stories, again, variable stories, like you said, well, then again, we get that 24 hour thing and we get the kid and they're like, yeah, we have to go through the process again. I'm like, what do you mean? This is the third child. Well, we have to go revisit this and this, and then we get it. This is a variable and I'm doing this on por- on, on purpose, yeah. but we get a social worker in that. Unfortunately, it wasn't the right fit for that person and did three months. Well, guess what? That three months didn't count because they didn't do what was needed. Mm-hmm. Reset the clock. Now they have 12 months. So we added that on. And then again, the mom got pregnant and we were like, okay, can we just do a bundle deal? I know it sounds ridiculous, yeah. but seriously, like we don't want to reset the clock and do another 12. I mean, like that's wow. And that is one of the the more interesting parts, like you said, is trying to jump in the state's perspective of we have to give these parents due diligence. We yeah. have to, no matter if the circumstances was the same for the first or the second, when the third and a fourth or fifth or sixth come along, we have to be respective and give them due diligence. And, you know, when you speak with people, you're like, oh, why don't they just like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, they're humans. Like, you can't yeah. just go say, hey, stop. And, and unfortunately, sometimes these parents don't have the mental capacity to have that understanding. And that was all eye opening to me. So again, like you said, there's a ton of different stories out there. There's a ton of different variables, but that's some of the stuff I do think to bring awareness and be informed is the difference between having, you know, if you are looking for the adoption part, which we'll talk a little bit more about, but like the termination of parental rights, what, what that is, like, what's the typical time frame? And, and again, there's variances there, but that's, you have to be open. And like you said, I think going back from a high level is you have to be open. You have to be patient. I'm not saying trust the system because I think it is important for you to be proactive in that instance, no matter what you're doing or path call, be informed. That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Things change by the way. I didn't know that either. Mm-hmm. Um, budgetary stuff county wise. I had no idea that they'll place it here. And there's all these other things where the parents can actually sign up and get additional resources for expedition of whatever. Uh, so that was really eye opening. So I had to share that because that was, yeah. That was something that, like you said, going back, you have to be open because you're going to go through, it's a roller coaster ride. And as long as you're prepared at the end of the day, right, you get off and you're like, cool, I went through a roller coaster. Yeah. Call it what it is. And it's going to be great. <laughs> you know? So, so I, I hear, I hear what you're saying and I, I, you know, I'm not trying to like take shots at you or whatever, because like, honestly, the, the boundaries part of the conversation is a part that, that every family has to deal with. Like we've said yes and no to certain things and our house is closed now. And I think it is important to remember especially for folks who are trying to figure out how this might work for them. Ultimately, all of the yeses and nos uh, are yours to, to dictate. And right. it, that doesn't make it easy to say like, yes, I can. And no, I can't. Cause we're talking about human beings, but we're also talking about ourselves as humans. We have limited capacity. And so, sure. yeah, we sort of set, set our guidelines and do the best we can in those. 
Yeah, which is interesting because we even did that through the adoption side too. And we got a couple of phone calls and some were, unfortunately, they just needed so much medical. Um, yeah. and, and we were like, oh man, unfortunately, we just, we literally can't do that. You know, it just wasn't in our scope. Um, so th this is interesting too, because again, right, as, as I've lived through this, but there's, there's a lot of resources I didn't know even existed about this, okay. right? So again, one of the big reasons I started this channel was like to try to pull in and distribute resources, um, including people and their experiences and, and their level of expertise, if you will, in your, your instance or case. But when you were going through this process, did you find any resources? Were any helpful? Mm -hmm. um, and how did you go about finding those resources? Yeah, like having having mentioned at least twice that this whole process has been very um, humbling for me. Uh, I I came to a point very early on, which I already talked a little about, where I I realized my innate parenting skills were just not quite a good fit. But I did not yet know what's new, what's next, or, or how how to change. Uh, and I learned the thing that you've probably learned: like there is a whole solar system of um, resources around how to do this kind of work well. Uh, trauma-informed care is kind of a shorthand for it, but it includes like all sorts of things that as parents of kids coming from difficult places that we kind of have to become armchair experts on in order to give good care to our kids. And so that's that's been a rolling thing for me. Like we heard the words trust-based relational intervention, that's T-B-R-I, for the first time maybe a year and a half into our foster care journey. And we went to a, a conference it still happens. It's called Hope for the Journey. It's like a video conference. And we heard it. And and I was like, wait, this might be the thing that this is different. Like on its face, I reject the information. I'm like, this is not okay. This is the opposite. Everything that I do innately, this is the opposite of. And that's what I'm receiving as content. TBRI is backwards and I am forwards. <laughs> but then also I'm, I'm in a humbling experience. Where like, okay, I'm facing this direction. I call it forwards. That's a value judgment. Turns out it probably wasn't forwards. <laughs> I'm facing this direction. TBRI seems to be facing the opposite, but also the, the direction I'm facing has become unhelpful. Mm. And so perhaps I'm the one that needs to change directions. And so I kind of came into TBRI as like a, okay, fine. You know, like, my stuff isn't working as hard as that is for me to say, like, I'm a good dad, I guess I thought I was a good dad. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe, you know, take that back. No shame. I'm a good dad, but part of being a good dad is like, we're continually learning. Right. right? And so being a good parent requires growth. Right. And I was at a point in my parenting journey that required growth in turn, in turn, a lot of growth, tremendous right. transformation. So how did you, so you said you heard about it. Was that through church? Was that through online? Like, where did you actually um, hear about it? Like all good things in my life, it was my wife, Leslie. <laughs> and she said, <laughs> I heard about this thing. And she's a, she's a researcher. She, I, I'm an intuition person. She's like a research person. And she's already been poking around. You start Googling. Which, and, can I just say something? That's interesting because you said, hey, I'm not a feelings person. I'm more this. And she's yeah. more the, but that's like opposite. That she's yeah. the research but feeling person but you're intuitive uh -huh. and analytical. That's really interesting to me. No, Sorry. that's right. I think the best way to put it is, first of all, she's going to have better information than me. Like she'll say, the if you ask like what year did something happen, she'll say the right thing and I'll give you a good sense of it. <laughs> but for, for me, like I, I love taking information and my brain is at the steering wheel. But when it's time to make a decision, I do whatever it is that's coming from my gut, assuming not only that my brain has worked it out, but again, that my brain is right because I've, I still have some humbling left to do. That's so great. So yeah. yeah, intuition, I think based on this fact that I work from from reason, but 
But then when it's time, I can't exactly tell you all the 10 steps. I just know, okay, I got to here. Here's what I'm doing. All right. And I'll never look back yes. for better or worse. That's great. So she did a so lot she, of research and then she's kind of poking around and she hears about the connected parent, which is a book that's like transformational in, in this trauma informed care world. It's like the first book you look at. It's Karen Purvis. Karen is with a Y. If you're Googling it, it's called the connected parent. She hears about that. Somebody gives her a copy because this, this stuff also spreads relationally. Like you got a foster parent who's been in it three years and they've learned what we haven't learned yet. And like, Hey, just come hear this thing out. This has been really effective. We've seen a lot of, of transformation in our family because it, and we're like, well, my family needs transformation because I'm yelling at everybody mm-hmm. and nobody's changing. Right. And I'm, I, I'm not living the way I want to live. I don't want to be a dad that does that. Right. And it's ineffective. Like yeah. it's all wrong for me. And so we kind of heard about it relationally. She kind of starts poking around and finding the, the books and the blogs at that time. And we go to the conference, which was at a church. And so like our, a lot of our connections are church connections, but mm-hmm. this material it's very popular in, in like the church world, but it definitely uh, exists outside of that as well. Like mm-hmm. you go into any place that takes trauma informed care seriously, and you're going to hear those letters TBRI. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's just doing really solid work, and part of it is you have this academic aspect where it's coming from Texas Christian University, and they're doing real actual research and they're documenting, and they got PhD folks like smart people. Uh, and, and so that's appealing to, to the folks that want like, you know, the psychologists and counselors who want uh, data informed research. It has that, but that's not why we came to it. We came to it because parents were telling us this is a thing that's causing transformation that works. And so we go to the conference they say everything, the opposite of what I feel I'm sitting there like, whatever, <laughs> this is a podcast. I just rolled my eyes. You didn't see it. It happened. Yeah. But at the same time, I realized that all of my stuff is not working. And so like sort of cynically, I'm like, I'm going to try this thing on. I'm going to give it a test run. I'm going to do everything the opposite. I'm going to do the things they say. And I'm going to show the world like all I have to do is power through and yell more. And I'll finally be able to say this. This is silly. But like it turns out it worked. And it was disappointing. It should have been encouraging. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Oh, no. Because here's the thing. You don't know what you don't know, and then you do know it. Like what the way they say, like in conversations about uh, racial equity, like know better, do better. Mm-hmm. Okay, I just learned a thing. I know that I can't not know it. Mm-hmm. Now I have to do this thing. Right. I, if I'm going to be better, it requires change. And so I'm getting like a six year path to integrate this stuff into my life. This stuff is trauma informed care. For us, all of this stuff about trauma informed care came by way of Texas Christian University, TBRI, Trust-Based Relational Intervention. You Google that, you're going to find a million things. Good place to start. TCU has a website that lists all their resources really clearly. There's also a YouTube uh, video. It's like an animated video, what is TBRI? And it does a very good job of the broad strokes, like Mm. in three minutes. But again, it's a whole world. We're talking about learning about sensory needs and how sensory needs sometimes play out in baffling behaviors and learning about the effects of trauma, like prenatal trauma right. affects our brain and our body and our behaviors and our belief systems. And we can't pretend just because we're giving a kid structure and we put a roof over their head and we're feeding them that they're getting what they need because they're coming from a place that requires more than just structure. It also requires nurture and connection. Uh, you talked about the triangle early on, like jumping back to this earlier part of the conversation an easy way to understand the very, very broad strokes of the differences, the transformation that was required of me 
was that TBRI talks about a triangle being the t- a typical parenting triangle, the one I was handed by the culture and also that I lived out, like mm-hmm. the one that I would have given to my kids. Right. Is like you start with structure, like, okay, here's how things work. In this family, we do X and Y and Z. And if you do that, things are going to go well. And this is coming from a good place. We want our kids to know how the world works. Yeah. The world doesn't care how you feel and you got to act right. And to get you to act right, you know, we're going to, we're going to add rules and we're going to add a bunch of structure. And TBRI is a hundred percent about structure. Mm-hmm. Like people sometimes take it as permissive. Um, if you're coming from a, from where the triangle starts with structure, it feels permissive. Uh, and so that's where I was coming from. Everything is structure. Mm-hmm. Structure. We're going to do this thing right. Uh, do what I say. I'm the dad. I'm the, I got the authority <laughs> here, you know, and we believe coming from where I was innately that if we have the structures right, our kids will will grow up healthy and feel loved and they'll get everything they need because we've provided the lane. Mm-hmm. Like here's the lane. We follow the rules and everything works well and your teachers love you and you get A's and you get a job and you get married and all this. And as a dad, that's not coming from a bad place. We want our kid to mm-hmm. see the lane and take it. True. And so we de- we define the lane primarily for me with rules and structures and authority and all that. And that all exists in the TBR world. But my triangle was starting with that to lead to ultimately connection and healthiness and love. Like, listen, it's important that we get this right. You know, I love you, dude, but just act right. You know what I mean? Like, so we start with act right. And we hope that providing these boundaries gets our kids to live in the world in a way that's productive and helpful for them from a good place. Like this is, we're not doing this because, we want our kids to be, you know, like, uh, feel unloved, mm. but ultimately the weight is on the structure and the, the end result for us is connection. Mm. We want connection. TBRI flips the triangle and says, everything starts with connection. You cannot provide good structure if you don't have good connection. And when a kid has come from a place, uh, of trauma, when they've come from a difficult background, when their life experience tells them, that the people who take care of you, who love you most, sometimes disappear. They, they live with that. Mm-hmm. Like They can't just pretend that you, a perfect stranger, or even their dad for three years or whatever, they can't just pretend that uh, that connection is automatic. And so when we're coming from with kids who, are, who have experienced broken connections and have come to believe these things about themselves and the trauma they've experienced has affected their brains and their bodies, there's so much here. Like every bit of this is a whole universe of things. Um, in order to provide good parenting to them, instead of starting with like, listen, these behaviors are crazy. Get these behaviors right. Like you're going to get kicked out of school, dude. Again, yeah. coming from a good place. Yeah. I really want you to do well in school. I want you to have everything you need. You can't get a job, you know, if you're stealing all the time. Right. But we may fail to see like, this kid steals because they they required food at a time where their caregiver wasn't giving them food. Yep. And they took in food because they have a survival instinct. Mm-hmm. We're built with that. And so if all we look at is the behavior and our only solution to behavior is structure, we will not necessarily create connection. Right. Uh, and we probably won't change behavior. Right. Or we'll change behavior in a way that ultimately leads to broken connection later. Compliance just until I have enough power to not comply. Yep. And then it's we've doubled everything. So in the TBRI world, the triangle is flipped where we put most of our energy into connection, which is beautiful mm-hmm. if you can live with it. Like mm-hmm. if you can transform your mindset, if you can flip the triangle, yeah, of course it starts with connection, right? Because like as a dad, I'm not 
primarily responsible with making my kids act right. I really want them to, mm-hmm. and I want them to do well. I'm actually primarily responsible with helping them feel connected and loved and secure in who they are. And I can hope that if I do that well, and my kid knows that they're loved and they have experienced real human connection, yep. that they'll grow up to be a person who can make real human connection right. and can act from a place of security and can ultimately accept structure and live with it and create it themselves. But if I start with structure, hoping to get to there, it's it's never going to happen. Um, yeah. As you can tell, he may or may not be an instructor in this. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, I just want to give a real example. Then I want to, yeah. I want to go back and, and talk cause is, so by the way, just real quick, is the connected child, the second book from the connected parent? Do you yeah. Know? Connected parent, connected child. Okay. If you're in this because you're a professional connected therapist is also great. Okay. But ultimately if there's anything that TCU puts their name on, or if there's anything that carries like the trade TBRI has a trademark symbol. If they're carrying the trademark symbol, they've been vetted. This is a whole world of stuff that's all helpful. Again, like we're talking about sensory stuff. We're talking about biology stuff. We're talking about, um, I love this book called uh, Brainstorm. It might be called Mindstorm. You got to link that later. <laughs> Dan Siegel is a, is a doctor who looks at all this from a, from a medical doctor perspective, mm-hmm. talking about brain development. Why is it that trauma affects our bodies? Well, it's, a, it's actually a biological thing. It's not just like, I feel bad because I wasn't fed. It's that our biological cues change and the the structures and connections in our brains change to adapt to those things. And so there's, there's a biological component. Uh, Everything that Dan Siegel, uh, MD Dan Siegel has ever done uh, is in that world and super helpful as well. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. So after going through your training, right, spoiler alert. um, (laughs) Yeah. So when I went through your training, it, it was like, remember me asking the question and you're like, I get, I get it, man. I was there. And, but like coming back and and so the one thing I want to want to say in and transition into this is like that doesn't have to be an older child, right? Like it doesn't have to be a kid that can recognize that. Again, I think we got Casey, she was two or two and a half, and you know, growing up in a tent and being left alone in tent for That's hours right. on end, like, you know, it, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that they had that realization. They're five and they know that the the parents gone. No, I mean, they could be young, you know, growing up 18 months old, whatever else. And that just stays with them. That's right. And so, you know, I was the like exact traditional, like, what are you doing? Stop doing that. Right, right, right. Yell, yell, yell. Nothing happened. And then, and it's funny. And it's, it's the same with my wife too. Like we, we both grew up and it's like, okay. And I said, maybe you got to try this and I'll do it every once in a while. Like it'll, it'll like, it's revert. It's extra energy to go like, Hey, don't forget. It's the triangle. So mm-hmm. uh, like, and her chemicals change and she just cries. She goes in this emotional thing, even though, you know, we have some, we found some really good medication. Finally, she's like, it's right. that by doctor, not by us, but yeah, we're about um, it. Right. Like, so, uh, which we'll talk about, but, um, I hug her. So when she goes, if there's something, I hug her, it gets her to the learning part. Remember what you're yeah. talking about? The flipping, flipping the, the lid, flipping the lid. Oh, this, sorry. I was doing this. Yeah. Uh, flipping the lid part, like to get her back where she can actually accept the communication that's happening now. And that's, that's my immediate, um, thing that I do all the time now that I learned, uh, I think it was what two, good Lord. Was it two years, three years? Probably two, easily two, 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 easily two years ago is like, is like hugging her, you know, really just doing that. It's, I mean, it could be like something just blatant, like, Oh, I don't want to eat. Please eat. Okay. Let me go hug, hug. Okay. Stop. All right. Think about it. Okay. Listen, just have a bite or two. Like, mm-hmm. okay. A bite or two. Okay. I need you to do three more bites of this. Then you can eat this. And like, yeah. but that hugging, yeah. like, completely changed it. And so I'll do that with all the children. Now it's like, if something happens, like give them a good hug, figure it out. Even, even my biological 12 year old, there you go. Like that, you know, 
like maybe indirect trauma, something that's like not known to us, but ha- something, but anyways, it works. Mm-hmm. It works like, you know, blah, 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 dad, oh, blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. You know, I'm 12 going to a teenager or whatever, blah, blah, blah. I go and I hug like, okay, Riley, like, you know, what's up? Like what's going on? And then yeah. brings her emotions down a little mm-hmm. bit and then we're able to have a conversation. Yeah. Cause you started with connection, right? Huge. Uh, two, two things I love there. First of all, like you're in my world now. Like this is, I can, I'm not gonna, we got a four hour training. I can just do the whole thing. Um, <laughs> Flipping your lid. If you're on the podcast, we made our hand, we made a fist with our thumb in the middle, and then we extended our four fingers up towards the ceiling, exposing our thumb. The idea of flipping your lid is that every every person on planet Earth is built with a fight, flight, freeze, fawn. That's a new one. Response where it keeps them alive. And kids who have experienced trauma have had to use that a lot um, to keep themselves alive, to go into survival mode. And so we say flipping your lid is going into survival mode. When a kid... Or an adult, a dad, when our lid is flipped, when we're in survival mode, fight, fight, freeze, we do not have the capacity to make rational decisions. And so, like, think again, take parenting out of this for a minute. If you and your spouse have come into a conflict where both of you have flipped your lids, uh, nobody's using reason, we're shouting, there are no words that are going to correctly clear a path to, to solve the issue until the lid is back on and connection is made. And so again, I don't care if you're right or wrong in an argument with the spouse, with your kid, with, with whoever, if the lid is flipped, your only first goal is to put the lid back on because <laughs> you don't have access to the things you need to solve the problem. And so for you, you're saying like, this is the, t- this is the, the quintessential TBRI question. What does this child need? This child, is, I, I know they need food. They're sitting in front of their table screaming Let's start with connection. Like I know they need to, if I just yell at them, eat your food, eat your food. Uh, now my lid's flipped. Nobody's <laughs> going anywhere. Maybe the need is connection first. Mm-hmm. I'm going to hug you. We're putting the lid back on. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to give you some choices. Mm-hmm. I know you have to eat. I'm not saying eat or don't eat. Mm-hmm. I'm saying, hey, do you want the mashed potatoes or do you want the chicken nuggets? You want, you want syrup on your chicken nuggets? Fine. Is that going to get them in your belly? Like we're going to lower the bar a little. We're going to get the food in. Maybe not do that every day, but yeah, right. you know, we're just finding a way to meet the need, which starts with, yeah, like let's put the lid back on. And that you said this too. This is the other thing I wanted to jump in on. We don't have two parenting styles for our bio kids and our adopted kids. Like this transformation we've gone through is a whole life transformation. Mm-hmm. Like we do this with our kids. We do this with each other. I'm in pastoral care. Like, I do a lot of parts of my ministry are working with people in very, very difficult situations. This is how I now approach those situations. Like, it's not like, Hey, I got what you need. Here's let me, let me throw some cash away. Or let me get you in a home or, mm-hmm. you know, or if I'm getting yelled at, which happens all the time because I'm dealing with people in very difficult situations. My, my job isn't to shout the right words back and say, <laughs> I'm, I'm right. You're wrong. <laughs> Even if I'm right, it, it couldn't matter any less. You know, like my job is like, let's put the lid back on. Let's de-escalate. What's the need here? Oh, you're stressed out because you slept in a car last night. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow night. I might not be able to get you in a house, mm-hmm. but if I can hear that and I can say what's the real need and I can put the lid back on and we can talk from a place of connection, it's still better than just saying the right words mm-hmm. when both our lids are flipped. So that's right. these are like the philosophical tools that inform the sort of life change required because you also said a thing that's true. For the first, I don't know, five years of trying to do this, it's always uh, a, a logical process. This is like, okay, what's the TBRI thing right now? I need to do X, Y, and Z. You don't feel like it. Like you feel like yelling or whatever. 
that you just do the things because they work, but eventually it becomes your language. And eventually looking for the need is your first step because you've created this path in your brain. And so for people like me that it was counterintuitive to, it takes a lot, it takes so much energy um, to implement until it doesn't. Right. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is now who, it's part of who I am. Mm-hmm. And it's part of how I connect to the world. Which is interesting because it can come across, it can come across a little uh, new wave-ish, if you will, right? Absolutely. From a from a structured, like, it's it's not the typical societal, like you just said, you know, multi-generational, this is what we've always learned. It's informative. And you always think like hugging, oh, that's touchy. But, but hey, it's true. It's real. Like chemicals, medical, touching. That's right. I mean, right? It's a love language. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's uh-huh. got, there's got to be something there. Um, but the proof's in the pudding when it comes to that. So uh, before we get too far along down that path, so you said connected parent, connected child, there's some resources there. Um, were there any other resources that you found along your journey, um, during that time period? Yeah. Um, for Leslie, the connected parent and all, all of the Karen, Pur- the stuff that Karen Purvis wrote directly, mm-hmm. that's her kind of bread and butter that was most transformative for her. For me, it was all the Dan Siegel stuff. This is the MD stuff. The brain chemistry stuff, uh, was very, very helpful for me. And then, uh, in the world of C- there are TBRI practitioners all over uh, the country. We eventually went to a, a proper training where we sit down for like, you know, three, four hour classes. And we talk about connection. Then we talk about empowerment. What are ways we, we can uh, get ahead of, of conflicts and talk about snacks and protein and hydration and structures. And, uh, and then we talk about ultimately uh, correction, which is like the, the, the stru- more, most structured part of it. So we went through all the trainings. There are trainings somewhere in your area. My wife uh, runs our area's Pearl Project. They got a website. They also have Zoom trainings. And so if there's not a person in your area, you can get in these conversations. I would say the important part of that is you're getting in the conversation with people who understand where you're coming from. It's not just in receiving something intellectually. You're like next to somebody on a Zoom call who's also frustrated that all of their best efforts aren't working. <laughs> and you're talking to, in the Pearl Project, every one of us who are practitioners are also parents. So we're not coming at this as like intellectuals who say like, here's great information. Mm-hmm. We're like, yeah, dude, I, I did this thing and then I made this change and here's how it works in my home. And so that lived experience is kind of a, a real part of how we do things at the Pearl Project. Uh, I can't, I, Egomaniac, I've said this like six times. I, you know, I wrote a book, Let, Let's Go, it's on Amazon, uh, which is just my family's story. But I also did a, um, a kid's book this year. Like I, I wrote an illustrated kid's book. Oh, that's about great. Trauma-informed care, like an ABC book. It's called A Book of Caring. Those are on Amazon. They are not as good as the TBRI things. But the one thing about them is that I get money when you buy those. <laughs> so those are out there. My name is Tyler Fuller. I'm on, I'm on Amazon. That's awesome. But I would say if you can find relational ways to engage in the conversation, you're going to go further faster. Like you and I. I'm sure you could have received the information, but then like stopping in the hallway and being like, dude, and then all of a sudden we're dads, you know, <laughs> yeah. all this, that's like, that's like worth 10 hours yeah, of yeah. information. That's very, very true. So I guess at what period of, of time did you and or your wife decide, Hey, we have all this information. Yeah. Let's, let's go ahead and become like instructors. Let's, let's do this. Like, did someone approach you and say, Hey, wow, we really enjoy how you communicate. And we've noticed you at a couple of trainings. Like how did that go for you and your wife? Yeah. So at every step of the way, Leslie is ahead of me. (laughs) This is a theme. Uh, and she, she had come to a life transition where, um, she had been a school teacher. She loves kids. She's great with kids. She did not have to make a 180. She made like a 30 degree shift mm. in who she was. I made a 180. <laughs> um, a lot of this is more innate for her. 
And so uh, our kids were getting a little older. We had stopped the adoptions. We had closed our house to foster care. And she was at a point in her life where she's like, well, what's next? You know, mm-hmm. like she could go teach again and she would love it. But the the way that implementing this trauma-informed care had been so transformational in our house that she just knew she wanted this to be a part of whatever was next. And so without a real plan, she went to become a practitioner, which is like, it's a heck of a process. And so like, I am not a counselor. I got no license. I got like a master's in, um, in divinity, which sounds like a Harry Potter thing. It's a pastor thing. Um, <laughs> I love it. But I went through like this a week long training. Like it's like nine to five, five days in a row with like 600 pages of reading. Whoa. And so like this, I used to say armchair expert, like, I am not an academic, but this is what it looks like to become a practitioner. It's not just like, you know, where you go to Bozo the Clown School and they, you pay the money and they give you the nose. Right. That's a, such an old reference. I love that. It's not like becoming uh, a part of any of these multi-level marketing schemes yes. where all you need is willingness. Right. And so Leslie went through that earlier than me. She probably did it, I don't know, six years ago mm-hmm. with, again, no real plan, except that she loves the work so much. And mm-hmm. this was the next step. And so she became a practitioner, which means she is uh, able to give the trainings. And she just started giving the trainings. Mm-hmm. Like in our town, we have connections in the foster care community. This was transformative for us. Let's just get out there and start telling people how it works. Yeah. And then organically, she came into contact with a person named Joy Zedler in uh, Central Florida, also in the TBRI world. It's a very tight community. Mm-hmm. And they were doing the exact same work. And our stories are similar. Like they their adoption process is the same. And it turns out, I don't know how you like to measure personality, but by any measure, they're exactly the same. My wife and Joy are exactly the same. <laughs> like, I don't care what, te- I don't do Enneagram. Like, I, I love Enneagram, but I don't yeah. have it all internalized yeah. and memorized. Whatever the Enneagram is for one of them is the other, whatever, they're the same. And they just kind of like, now there's two people who feel kindred to each other, who appreciate each other's experience and doing the same work. And so eventually they made a formal partnership where the work joy had started under the name, the Pearl project in central Florida in Ocala shout out to joy. Uh, Leslie planted here in the panhandle of Florida in the Niceville area. And mm-hmm. so we're essentially a chapter of the Pearl project. We're also the only chapter of the Pearl project. This is all new work. Right. Um, and so she started then uh, officially offering the training under that name. And then she went back to school. She got a master's. Oh, uh, that's cool. Yeah, just, she got an MSW, master's of social work at wow, FSU. Oh, no way. Yeah. So go Seminoles or, you know, whatever. Oof, they're, they're kicking butt. That was the first, real quick story. Yeah. First time. So Riley's always wanted to go to 12 year old, wanted to go to a college football game and surprised her for her birthday. And I said, hey, you know, got some tickets. And so lesson learned. Bought off StubHub, and then I was like, oh, let's make it a really good experience. I'm going to get really good parking. And so I paid, you know, what I was like, okay, cool. I've never done one. I, I paid a little bit of money. I was like, okay, great. Well, we show up. We're parked right next to the stadium to the point where I, w- I did two loops, and they're like, oh, no, you have to show this to the cops to let you back through. I'm like, okay. And it's all the tailgaters that have been there for years. And then I'm like, all right. So luckily I had stopped and asked somebody directions on like how to get there. And somebody told me that, well, funny enough, we park, we walk over and the buses are stopped, you know, about to stop. There's cheerleaders and the players about to get off. And I see them again. I said, Hey, where's this entrance? I don't know. Like it, it like I'm looking there's like CCDD or whatever. And this one's like something weird. And he's like, Oh, go by the, um, undefeated statue or, you know, uncon- uh-huh. unconquered, unconquered statue. I'm like, okay, where's that? <laughs> He's like, that way. I said, okay, cool. Because, of course, this person graduated there. Yeah. Walk around the Unconquered statue. Here's this line. It's just a little line. Um, and then there's elevators. And I'm like, oh, 
this is this is pretty sweet. <laughs> so we go through the line, um, and a lot of like I didn't realize some like retired coaches from they they had the it was at 1993. All the players and coaches there was like part of that that particular game. They honored all them and everything from the national division. So, anyways, so we got the elevators to go in, and I know it said uh, drinks and food included. I was like, oh, cool, man, free popcorn sodas. We go up, and it's like the whole floor, the fourth floor, and it's a buffet of food. They they weren't open bar, but they had two bars for adult beverages. But then they have like brisket they're cutting. They had like a nice. hot dog hamburger like stand, all of this stuff. And I look at Riley and I said, Riley, this this will never happen again. Like this was by happenstance. So we go look for our seats and they're seated or they're cushioned seats underneath an overhang. And the overhang has TVs. And I'm like, oh no. Like I I bought these like VIP tickets yeah. and I had no clue because that's just not how they came across on Stub Hub. We sit down, there's these round tables. We sit down, and there's a gentleman there. And we're chatting with him. He's a little older gentleman. In fact, I think he was older than what I like his appearance. And he's like, yeah, I haven't missed a game since 1983. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, we live over here, but I have an RV and we drive down every time or something. And I, I, it was it was mind blowing. Some of the cheerleaders were up and Riley took some pictures. Uh-huh. He really wanted to all that stuff. Um, but anyways, so so go college football FSU. They're doing that phenomenal poor girl, though, man, she's going to graduate. Go to some college and show up and be like, oh, this is how the peasants do it? She, I mean, I told her, I said, look, there's the student section. That's where you're going to end up. So just to let you know, no cushioning, nothing. There's no brisket. There's no, there's no brisket. <laughs> I felt so. But yes, FSU, a fantastic uh, master of social working. Yeah, so she gets the impressive. MSW. She graduated, I don't know, a year and a half ago. Wow. But while she was going through the process, she's gonna, she's becoming a licensed counselor as well. While she's going through the process, she just kind of grows what, what she's doing here in the area. And then... Um, I just, I became a practitioner in part because I wanted to go deeper. Like it's, it's so effective for me in my personal life. Like why not take a next step? Um, but also like there's, there's really a thin line between uh, pastoral work and preaching and like teaching and training. Like these are all part of the same gift sets and passions for mm-hmm. me. And so also once again, this is a very, um, there's not a lot of dads in in the world of of training in, in drama informed care. There are some really great ones, mm-hmm. um, but we just felt like it would be helpful to have a male voice on the team. And I was like, "Well, I can offer a male voice. I'm a male." So that's <laughs> and about I have a the, voice. <laughs> that's about what I bring to the team. Is like I am I am a male. Congratulations. Um, but again, deeply in love with the work and living it out. And so mm-hmm. it just was a logical step. And so my involvement is a little bit here and there. Like I am a pastor full time, but uh, I love the work and I love the people and it's been transformative for me. So sometimes I'm like creating content. I like to write and I like, I just make things the, the book, for example. And sometimes I'm doing direct teaching and training because it's just a thing. It's a little side passion that I love. And that's how sure. we got into all that. Wow. That's fantastic. So, so you did the TBRI TCU is, is, is the big basis. Yeah. Have y'all had the opportunity to go to TCU and have conversations with them at all? Or yeah, Leslie is, is like neck deep in it. Like they know, they, they know the Pearl Project Well, we're a partner organization, which if you're in that world, it means something like it's like a cosign basically. And so Leslie now goes to practitioner trainings as a mentor parent. And yeah, she's been running around all in that world for me. Uh, my interest is a lot more, boots on the ground and local. And so mm-hmm. I don't know that Leslie's been to, te- I do know that Leslie hasn't been to Texas Christian, but like in terms of the TBR community and the, the places that it's originating. Yeah. She's a lot closer to that inner circle than me. And that that's by design. Like I'm, I'm happy to like, you know, teach the people that are in front of me and that's about the size of it for me. Right. So something, something unique I want to touch on before. Um, but I want to make sure that we've, we've hit on all this, yeah, yeah. all these topics before we move on. Um, do you have any other resources you suggest or 
um, other like websites or anything that people can go on, especially right. Like looking at the difference between fostering and adopting and, or more, like you said, um, maybe they, they have or have not already fostered or adopted, but they want to know a little bit more and be informed. Is there anything else that you suggest? Yeah. So, um, we have a couple like tcu.edu is the Texas Christian site. Uh, the Pearl Project, of course, has a site where they're listing both other resources and the trainings that they offer where you can kind of get into these conversations in person or or by Zoom. Um, TCU also has a list on their site of like, you know, I need to find a, a practitioner near me. And that way you could find like who's in this local community uh, that we're in. That, that would be at the TCU site, the Texas Christian site. Um, in terms of the adoption stuff. If you're ready to like make next steps, a good next a good um, resource is to look for a local agency who is doing this in your community. If you want a national one for international adoptions, I like Bethany Christian, but there's a bunch out there. Um, the part part of your work is finding one that feels like a good fit for you culturally, mm-hmm. in line with what you're trying to do. Uh, and then again, we're thinking about Hague accredited countries. That's an important part of that. Um, in terms of foster care, uh, every community has like every geographical community has a foster care community. And so looking, find a foster parent. They know where the people are. They know who is doing this in your area because, because it's state um, related, everything becomes incredibly local, Mm -hmm. but being, becoming a part of an actual human community is definitely the right way to approach this. um, Cause you're gonna have real conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, I kept the blog up for a while where everything I've said, I've also wrote like, here's the three options. Here's our story. My, all of my book is actually, broken up in chapters on the blog. It's uh, it's called Unremarkable Conjecture. It is 100% non-academic. Like, it's silly, and it, it talks the way that I talk. Mm-hmm. But if you want, like, real talk from, like, from like the, the ground-level experience, that's all up there, still searchable, uh, and all my adoption and, and foster care stuff is, is, is categorized. But I would say... Um, I would say if you want to make next steps, trying to find a human connection to a person that's close to the work is probably the best next step. Mm-hmm. Because you can get a long way intellectually, um, but it's going to require community to do this well. And so just talking to folks that are around you that have done it is a good step. So I, I was curious before. I have to know. Because I think we talked about it. Uh-huh. I could have sorry, But you've watched Instant Family, right? Oh, yeah. love Instant Family. <laughs> yeah. I forgot about that. Highly I, recommend. I That's always when people first yeah. come to me. I'm like, have you seen Instant Family? And it's like free on, I think, Hulu and Prime uh-huh. and some other streaming sites. Um but I'm like, have you ever watched it? And I didn't realize, like, that's literally based off, I think, either one of his directors or somebody in Mark Wahlberg, which I, mm-hmm. uh, anyways, great guy, like a great guy, um, like to do that and just seeing some of the realization and like, there's some real, I will tell you after going through that same course you did and they have those personalities in the class where the lady like draws up and they're like, do you want blindside? Is that what you're, and she's like, no, what's blindside? You're like, that looks just, anyway, and, and you saw how that story turned out recently, yeah, by the way, yeah. which is really interesting, but like all those different personalities, I'm like, oh my gosh, we had some of those personalities and where you're like one lady, I mean, oh my goodness. She was like, well, I'm just looking for a play date for my kid. And we're all looking around like, you are not a good fit. Is that? Yeah. You're not at the place to the point where the instructors were going to sort of, you know, remove that person, which I think they did after the fact. But anyways, it was, it was eye opening. but like the, the, like we talked about the Uh black, plastic uh, plastic, plastic bags bag, yeah. trash bags and then like all the you know particular like oh you got all these um animals from every core of it like all these but the like going and meeting them and then like having a teenager and their brothers and sisters i like oh man and then the the table scene yeah, like all of that real. stuff i mean oh my goodness a lot of that stuff was was just like really hit home so it's a, yeah. it's a funny thing i always tell people if I'm you like, want an easy way like a of 
objectively fun and like funny look into a world, but it's also like a real take. Instant family is great to, to your point about different levels of readiness and expectation. I I'm going to, you know, I'm a pastor. I still freely recommend this movie. It's great. I love it. I've recommended it to people who have come back to me like, Oh, there's a lot of language in that movie. I'm like, okay, well you're probably not ready. <laughs> like there's a lot of language in the world that we're about to go yeah, into. That's very true. Um, so I want to talk about something that might be a little niche, uh-huh. but you and I can relate. And I know that there's others out there and well, this could be bio or it could be, um, you know, either, however you did it naturally or not having a large family. Oh yeah. So I have to touch on that. I have to take yeah. the opportunity prior to us wrapping up. I really want to touch on that. How has that changed your life? Right. You said, Hey, one or two were done. Nope. We need more. Now, now you're up to six. Yeah. So I'll, I'll be specific on my questions because you sure. could write, there's a, a big thing here. So, so one, let's talk about, okay, you said it early, right? Chick-fil-A, financial, sure. right? That's a big deal. That's one of the hardest things is, you know, depending on your, on your fostering or adopting, sometimes you do get some income and always, mm-hmm. everyone always talks about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I will tell you from personal experience, it's not very much. It pays mm-hmm. for maybe half the diapers that we go through, like mm-hmm. for one kid not the rest, right? So every kid, and then if you choose to put your child in daycare or so on, yeah. or food, I mean, it is it is not as substantial as people make it out to be in the movies. Like, uh-huh. oh, they just take advantage. I'm like, okay, I, I, I don't know how, but from a, from a, without, you don't have to say like specific, yeah, yeah, but from a financial aspect, right? Because you said earlier, mm-hmm. hey, how much do I have to live? Well, like Chick-fil-A, 24,000, but yeah. you don't have to give the, the numbers, but how did that how did that hit you and your family, right? From a financial standpoint? Yeah. And I think you did say something important that I usually like to say, but I forgot, which is there the financial component of foster care. There is a stipend that's that when you're fostering that comes when you have a placement that, like you said, is helpful, but is not, it's not all you need, but it's not nothing. And then adoption, if you're doing it through the state, uh, through foster care is wholly paid for. Um, so again, there's a lot of complication, but there is a financial aspect as well. We're a family, six kids, eight total. I'm a pastor. My wife runs a nonprofit. So like, yeah, we don't have a ton of money. Uh, and so one of the, of the many, many changes it, it required of us to understand like large family structures, one of them is this, this sort of financial thing. So there's a mixed benefit, right? In my family, every single day, it's about like a normal kid's birthday party. Like you got plate kids. No, you, you should never be bored in my house. Like there is somebody <laughs> to play with all the time. And that's an advantage that my kid might have over a kid who's like an only child who's like only going to go to dad and say, dad, what do we do now? Okay. We're going to play a board game. We're going to play. What do we do next? I shouldn't have that going on in my house. Like it, uh, my, the environment is such that there's a lot of connection to be had among our kids. And that's beautiful. And we love it. It's mm-hmm. great. That's an advantage. The also very clear disadvantages is like, we can't go to a place without everyone just knowing we're at that. We don't, we barely go to other kids' birthday parties. Cause like, you don't know what you're asking for when you invite all of us. Like you, you want 10 people at the party. We're eight people. So we got grandma and grandpa and us. And so we have sized ourselves out of a lot of normal situations and we just take it as it is. Like mm-hmm. we're called to this. We, we love our family as it is. But we also freely acknowledge that there are changes that we made that make our family function differently. So like financially, we don't go out to eat a ton. Like sit down restaurant is like an event. And we oh, do it as an event. Yeah. Like put your, put your fancy pants on. I'm going to teach you how to tip. We're going to add, you got to talk to the waitress directly or the yes. waiter directly, all those things. 
we don't just stop on the way home because like we need food. Uh, when we go out for food, we're like, okay, is this a nugget tray? Cause that's actually cheaper than like eight number ones. <laughs> just give me a small tray. You, know, that's, um, you cater for yourself. Your yeah. family. You're like, what's the catering? We're oh, yeah, Sam's club. It. Like we were officially like, a, if you got Costco or Sam's club, that's how we do things. And I mean, again, finance, listen, like people struggle financially. I get that. We, str- it's hard. Finances is hard, but you tend to live with what you have. Mm-hmm. And so like, did I feel financially strapped when I had two kids? Yeah. I was living differently, but I also was like, oh man, having two kids is a lot. I feel the same way now. So like we've made adjustments in our lifestyle as we go, mm-hmm. but the feeling is the same. Like, man, it's hard to live. And that doesn't feel different. Like how we do things is different. We don't, we don't grow up. We go to a movie twice a year. It's a thing to go mm-hmm. to a movie. Uh, we have an allowance system is real cheap and the kids have to save and our kids know they don't just get a car when they turn 16 and there's nothing wrong with all that right like there's nothing wrong with having an only child that does all of the things sure. that's great as well right, that's right, right but you can't pretend if you have six kids that you can live in the same way you do if you have one you have to acknowledge we need structural changes or everybody dies so like mm-hmm. our kids choose Wait, did you say yeah <laughs> if not everyone dies uh-huh. <laughs> i guess that's hyperbole but only barely <laughs> the uh our kids choose like a thing that they're going to be into. So like, you're not going to play baseball and soccer. You're going to say, which one do I want to try this mm. year? And God's honest truth is like, we have some kids with some innate, innate um, sports abilities. We're not a sports family. Even if we were a sports family, like we could never be a traveling family. And that's a sacrifice that we make. And that's an opportunity our kids might have had that mm-hmm. they don't have. Mm-hmm. It is actually impossible for us to be a traveling sports family. Mm-hmm. And so we give that up, but what we gain is all these other things you get from, so we have to recognize the balance. We can't say we can't have it all, right? but we love what we have and we recognize it's different than what a family of one or two or three kids has. And we love what families of one or two or three kids has. But for us, as our family increased in size, we kept having these conversations. Like we can't just get in the car and go to a place. Like mm-hmm. we have to have rich. TBRI, it requires transitions. You try to throw all the kids in the car quickly, Mm-mm. everybody's lids are getting flipped. And we have to have a lead in time. And like, do you even have enough seats at your table for us? And you know, right, right. So everything structurally required change. Our house is bigger, our car is bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, but the feeling is the same. Yeah, it's hard to live, it's hard to get by, you know. Do you, so one of the things, I don't know if you've seen it, like walking through the house and it's, it's still, right? It's, so the house we have was not meant to have now. <laughs> so we are overloaded by clothes. Laundry and clothes has been one of the things because of the sizes. So while funny enough, the two youngest are 11 uh, months apart, they're actually like in semi similar clothes. So to the point where if I even try to help do laundry and Same. you know, I'm like, okay, whose is this? My 12 year old's wearing very close to my wife's stuff now. Same. So I'm like, Whose shirt is this? Are, are these whose socks are these? And then the little ones, I'm like, okay, littles. But then we have people that will give us clothes, which is great. But it's like, where do you put them? And then you're like, okay, now I have to transition from you know three T to four T. Now we're going to five and six T. So what do I do with these? Well, I need to keep them because these littles are going to be three T. So it's like this nightmare <laughs> of clothes. And they're like, oh, these are holiday clothes. Well, we need to put them over here because we don't, we only have so much space in the closet for everything. And it's like, you know, it, it has been yes, logistically from a clothing standpoint. And I mean, luckily, right. What do you say? You have two ninth graders, two seventh graders. Is that what you said? Yeah. That's right. I mean, luckily that's semi, right? Well, no, first of all, this is why having not had a whole bunch of FaceTime hours, you and I connect so deeply. 
Just yes to all of that. A hundred percent. It's exactly the same. There's no solution. You suffer. We do laundry every day. Yep. That's right. That's I don't right. know whose clothes are whose clothes. I just do my best. Who cares? You know, like it is what it is. They're, they're, they're semi-warm or clothed half naked when they go out. That, People that, who love us so much bring things into our house. A lot of those things I immediately bring straight out. I can't deal with this. I can't file this into a Tupperware. Uh, I just, I, hey, if you do that, if you nobody's going to be two hours into this who really knows me. But if you brought us stuff, I love you. Thank you. I didn't mean it. <laughs> no, I mean, well, the good thing is it's repurposing, right? So we'll, it's the same boat as we'll yep. get some stuff and we're like, okay, like we, you know, we meet other folks or families or whatever. And it's the same boat. You're like, oh man, but oh, like perfect. Like here, or, you know, you have family too that may or may yep. not have children of whatever respective side. And that's the other thing is like, you know, my sister-in-law has certain, so we get like this, you know, it's just revolving. Now I will tell you, as you said earlier, pro and con pro is while the money is going towards things, it doesn't have to go towards the clothes, mm -hmm. which is phenomenal because I mean, so, and, and my wife will go, there's a, I think it's called we runs. It's a, yeah. it's a place. Uh, um, and so sometimes we'll take the clothes for, um, what is it? Starts with the C words just escaping me for where you get paid commission. What it's not that. Yeah. Yeah. No, but, uh, consignment. Thank you. Consignment. Mm -hmm. Um, so like consignment or, and, or we'll purchase those clothes because we don't need brand new clothes. I, yeah. I mean, I hate to say that's weird, but it's like when they go through it so quickly, it's like, do you really need the brand new latest and greatest? <laughs> and like you said, sacrifices are made going from one or two children to four, five, 100%. six children. So, Hey, thanks. You're not going to get that maybe for your birthday or Christmas or something. Yeah. And this, we don't have time for this, but I can't help but say it. Like I, I came up from like a very DIY punk rock background. I have, I have like a, an environmentalist uh, tendency in me. This is no joke. If you can't see me, I'm on a podcast. I wear the same jeans every single day. I have worn these jeans for six months. Clothing for me, this is a non-issue. I couldn't care any less if my kids don't have designer brands. I philosophically, for myself and for my family, we buy used because I'm trying to produce less and use less. Right. And so that that happens to coincide with my giant family, yeah. but that also predated my <laughs> giant family. Yeah. No, I, I get you. Yeah, it's funny. So, so one of the things in that aspect, which... I'm sure you know because of of your studies, and I literally just had this conversation yesterday. Because I wore a hat and a hoodie to work, which is like not not the norm where I work at all. It's usually button-down dress pants, all that stuff. So, but Thursday is a little looser. Um, Thursdays, Fridays. So, anyways, so I said, you know what? I wear this. If you go back and look, I wear the same exact thing: blue shorts. I, I did buy some other shorts for a long. But anyways, these blue shorts and this black. I have like 15 of these, and I have I think four of these blue ones. One, it fits, it's comfortable. I'm gonna buy a couple and then I'll wear it for years until these things like fall apart or like, you know, some of uh -huh. these shirts are just, they're not the, the thickest, best shirts in the world. But also it's a decision thing. Mm -hmm. And I think it was in a Steve Jobs book by Walter Isaacson and, and or some other stuff is if you have that and you don't have to make a decision, you can save that time That's and energy right. to put towards other things, which I think is ingenious. It's like the Atomic Habits conversation. I have automated how I dress. If yeah. I'm not, if I'm at work, I have 15 shirts. They all look the same. They're buttoned up. Who cares? Everyone I work, I've worked in the same place 15 years. Everyone knows I don't really have clothes. If I'm off work, I got a black t-shirt. I got a white t-shirt. Yep. I love it. Well, the funny thing is, Tyler, is like, I literally just had the conversation with the, the same girl that I was talking about, the hat yeah. and the hoodie is, um, I said, you know, what's funny. I, my goal is next because, you know, now like with the shirts and, you know, I, I, I dry clean to try to keep them as, as long as possible because I don't want to keep cycling and buying new things. And, but there's a whole chemical process, dry clean, whatever, it doesn't matter. Point being is I want to go where I get all black long sleeve button down. And then I wear those with whatever color pants it may be. Maybe yeah. I'll have two or three, like a gray, a khaki, whatever. And then that's it for call like, that a, call it a capsule, caps, capsule world wardrobe where every, every 
piece matches every other piece. You just go yes. get two things. But I don't want, like, I like the fact of having the same shirt. Like, I uh -huh. don't want to have to vary the shirt. I want to just do it. And I think it'll respect it. In fact, well, I did a, a presentation recently and I put sunglasses on and I'm going to probably wear sunglasses now when I do my presentation. So it's just <laughs> how it's going to be because of the lighting. Um, is there anything else for the large family side of the house? I know we, we, we joked about some stuff. So finances, mm -hmm. uh, laundry, food is, is always a big deal. Costco mm -hmm. Sam's, like you said, in fact, I, yeah, let me jump in on food for a yeah, second. Please do, Not please. just the volume of food, but this is also where you get into some TBRI yes. stuff. Food is a very, very easy place for unnecessary conflict with kids who have come from difficult places. What will they eat? What will they not eat? We know they need to eat. We know they need hydration. We know that they need protein. We, we got to find ways to to get around like food fights. It's it's not nobody wins in a food fight. And so in our house, like yeah, we we're on a set menu. It's like Mondays is like a breakfast for dinner. Tuesdays is Taco Tuesdays. Wednesdays like we eat at the church together. Thursday is like grilled meat and vegetables. So again, automating, trying to keep it as simple as possible, but we always have like, Hey, you don't like the chili. Cause it's, it does you some kind of way. That's fine. PBJ, just make a PBJ. You got to have food. It's okay. You got to make it like, here's the compromise. Like if you don't want what I'm serving, you go make the PBJ. But also the goal here is that you eat food. And like I've had, I've had been served at food I don't like. Mm -hmm. And so I get it. And so that's a food for us. We have a menu we can kind of predict and trust. And then we also have like, Hey dude, it's okay if this doesn't work. You have to eat what's okay. PBJ is an option. Go make it. That kind of thing. I like that. Well, it's funny. We've tried. We haven't, but hopefully we'll stir back uh, to that at some point. But you, we have that exact thing, right? Mm -hmm. Which my, my six-year-old Casey will eat PB&Js every day, all day. In fact, she likes them frozen. It's the weirdest. That's weird. Do you know the look? She's got some very... She'll always ask for stuff frozen. I'm like, you can't have it frozen. It's... Maybe yeah. a little defrosted, I mean, but like she, she has this innate sense of like always wanting something. I don't know if it's a cold thing. I don't know. Yeah. But anyways, but I, what I, what I really picked up on there was make them make it. I like that. I yeah. like, because that's the thing. My wife's like, I put food in front of you. You will eat what I yeah. put in front of you. And then we was giving her like, okay, you want some applesauce or yogurt? Okay. Whatever. But like, okay, you go get it or you make it. I like, I like that idea. That's it's a really structure good, and nurture. What's the yeah. need? I understand that this food isn't going to work for you. I can either double down. You're going to sit at this thing till it's gone mm -hmm. and like nobody wins. And also the food isn't going to, it doesn't get eaten that way. It doesn't mm -hmm. work. You go to bed hungry, nobody wins. Right. Uh, so there's a, there's a nurture aspect where we, we have to feed this kid. The structure aspect is saying like, no, I'm not going to make two dinners because you're not in the mood. There is structure there. Right. And so you find a compromise solution that upholds the structure. I'm, I, I can't do eight dinners a day. But I also nurture. I also understand that this dinner isn't working for you. How can we solve your problem? Oh, you have a solution. Go do your solution. That's structure and nurture. That's fantastic. I'm so glad. I'm gonna. This is gonna be a snippet out of the long one. Yeah. I'm gonna be like, hey, babe, let's listen to this together. Uh, fantastic conversation on that. Um. Anyway, so 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 I do appreciate that insight. Is there anything else from the large family perspective that you've as you've grown into that you've had conversations with other people that maybe either are struggling or like they didn't really take into consideration or that you've just found that was been, you know, very interesting and, and the life, as you said, adult male 42. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, um, I think there's an aspect of loneliness that comes with a large family because like, no, I can't just, you know, hop out and hang out with, but like the demands of our family are truly, there's no way to do the math without understanding that the demands of the family are more when there's this many more of them. And so there is like, there's, we're making trade-offs. There are things that we've given up to have a family that looks like our family, but like, I'm not sitting home every day feeling resentful about it. I, my family is the thing that I love most. Like the thing that brings me the most energy, even though it 
is so challenging because this is a calling and because it's, it's part of it's built in, it's in my bones. Like mm. this is what I want to do most. Um, I recognize that like some of these, these trade-offs we've made still make me a better person. It's still give me a life that it's not the life that I would have imagined when I was 18. Right. Mm. You know, I have freedom to do more or whatever. <laughs> it's not at all. Like I never would have imagined. I didn't come from a big family, Yeah. but that doesn't mean it's not beautiful and it's not lovely. It doesn't mean it's not right. Um, I love my life. Like yeah. it's challenging and there are things that that I cannot do that I might do otherwise. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, life is full of compromises and the, sure. and the trade-offs we made to get to where we are are beautiful and worthy and holy. And the place we ended up is the right place. And like everybody's life is difficult, man. And like my life is difficult as yeah. well. So so as we're wrapping up here, Tyler, and I do appreciate your time, um, I want to ask you, so I always ask a special question. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you went all the way through yeah, yeah, any yeah. of my podcast, but I asked a special question. So um, one of the more recent ones, and I think it's the most appropriate too, because it'll be very interesting to hear what you have to say is if, if you had an extra day to live in your life, would you want to live it in the past or the future? Um, well, that's a great question. And I, after this day, I go, now I gotta get to the rules. After this day, I go back to the day I'm at now. Correct. I'm going to go to the past. Mm-hmm. I'm going to live that future day one day, one, one way or the other. I'd rather go back to a day that I particularly felt connected to or loved, mm-hmm. you know, like draw those feelings back and get back to running where I am. Gotcha. What day? I don't know. No, no. Yeah, no. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been a, one of my, it's one of my favorite questions to ask people because you get both, yeah. which you, you know, some people have experienced either trauma, passing of a yeah. loved one or whatever. And they want to go back and they're like, I wish I could have had one more opportunity or chance or whatever. And other people go like, I'm, I'm happy with where I, at. I, I would be very curious to see where I'm in the future or where my kids are in the future or whatever else. And it's, it's fascinating to me to hear sort of the background because some people they're like immediate when they answer like, like instantaneous boom. And then some people like you just did sort of sit and think about it a little bit yeah. too. So I think it's, it's a fascinating uh, question to ask people. So yeah. I really appreciate that. Maybe it was hard for me because the bottom line is I want to live where I'm at. Yeah. You know, like that's, that's sort of like how I, how I operate. Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting definition. I looked it up a while back between ruminating and medi- meditating, mm-hmm. right? Like the whole negative connotation, if you will, yeah, yeah. of ruminating compared to like meditating and using that as a positive energy and force going forward. So, um, but Tyler, I want to give you the opportunity to see if you had anything else, you know, to wrap up with now that we think about the conversation we had, any other tidbits, anything else, um, questions, comments, concern, anything else that you have? No, this is the thing that I love. Everything I talked about is like the things that I love most. And so like I got... I'm on social media on, on Facebook. My name is Tyler Fuller. The The blog is on Instagram. It's uh, Unremarkable Conjecture. My email is tylerjakefuller at gmail.com. And so like every every part of this is a whole solar system of experience and information. So if something hits and you want more, you want to like just chat about it. Like this is what I do and I'd love to do that. You feel free to reach out to me directly, follow up with the resources we listed. But yeah, you know, if you're in here exploring, like God bless you, do a good thing and and, and do it the best you can. Awesome. Well, again, I want to say thanks for coming on, Tyler. It's been an amazing experience. Um, thanks for coming on People Add Value Experience. And I, I definitely, I personally got a ton of value, which is literally <laughs> what this is for. And I cannot wait to uh, to get this shared out and get some responses for people. So again, thanks very much. Appreciate yeah, thanks it. for having me. It's been great. All right. Thanks. <laughs>